Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Welcome to another episode of Say Why to Drugs. First off, a bit of admin. A few people got in touch with me after the last episode to let me know that the audio was a little quiet. I have asked my audio wizard hero, Jim Murray, to have a look at it, and he's made it substantially louder. I've re-uploaded it, so if you gave up on it last time, I'd recommend deleting it and re-downloading it, and hopefully it'll be more audible. Thank you everyone for your lovely comments about that episode. I was really pleased with how it came out and I'd love to do more live events. If anyone can think of locations, topics, guests or anything like that, please do get in touch. Now, this episode was recorded earlier this year when author Jenny Valentish was in the country. I read her book Woman of Substances with interest and so we had a chat about it, the research she undertook that led her to realise how issues around dependence and addiction particularly impact on women, her own experiences with drugs and alcohol, as well as touching on the use of language, stigma, Alan Partridge impressions, you name it. So enjoy Jenny Valentish and I say why to women and drugs. Okay, so this is another episode of Say Why to Drugs. I've started with the word so because that is something that I can't avoid, it seems. Um, but I'm joined today by Jenny Vantish. So can I just get you to briefly introduce yourself or introduce yourself as long-windedly as you like? I sort of go for halfway. Um, yeah, my name's Jenny Vantish. I'm a journalist. I'm from England. I'm from Slough, but I live in Australia now. And I've written a book called Women of Substances, and it's a, a gendered look at women and drugs and alcohol use. Um, over in Australia, I just tend to write for newspapers, but I really wanted to do something different and um, kind of exploit my power as a journalist to use myself as a case study and interview lots of interesting people to find out why I used to behave the way I did. Brilliant. Well, so this isn't perhaps usual for this podcast. Quite often I speak to scientists and you're... Do you have a science background? Not, not at all, which made me feel, you know, incredible imposter syndrome <laughs> embarking on this book. But So I've been reading the book and one of the things that really struck me is how how sciencey it is it really goes into quite a lot of depth and um what made you decide to sort of take that angle with this topic um I quit drinking for eight years and immediately upon stopping 
I sort of turned it into a bit of a project, really. It's how my mind works, you know, if there's any kind of adversity project. So I, um, at that time, read as many books as I possibly could, and most of what I read were addiction memoirs. And um, I felt like what I was learning was very limited, because they all had the same narrative. They all um, had this kind of exciting crescendo of gory details, and then uh, you reach this rock bottom, and then suddenly the tone dramatically changes, and it becomes... AA speak. Anyone who's ever been to AA or seen it on TV immediately recognises the phrases that they're suddenly using. Um, and then it's uh, it ends with redemption. But it didn't really teach me anything about why did I keep doing the stupid things I kept doing? Um, why was I so impulsive? Why do you make the same mistakes over and over and over again, despite knowing how things are going to wind up? So they're the kind of things that I wanted to know, and of course I had to talk to people, out, you know, not, I couldn't just write about how bad things got for me, I needed to talk to people who had the answers. Um, so I, I stitched together the uh, expertise of about 35 different neuroscientists and researchers and clinicians um, to put together this bigger picture. And I think, um, from what I can tell, it's been really useful even to people who work in the field, because... I think you can get kind of tunnel vision a little bit and, and sort of become such a specialist in your own area that it's quite good to to see what everyone else is doing under that same theme of women. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've learned a lot from reading it, definitely. And it's something that it has struck me, but only fairly recently, that there is this actual sort of importance of thinking about women specifically when talking about drug use, addiction, dependence, sort of whatever kind of labels you want to put on it. There are issues that are quite specific to women, or not even necessarily that, but that women might be sometimes slightly kind of overlooked in terms of who the research is focused on, who's doing the research, all of these kind of things. And and that's something that I sort of got out from your book, so I wanted to ask you a bit more about that, really. Yeah, because when I started writing it, I was doing it from the female perspective, purely because I'm female. Um, but the more I talked to people and the more I learned about um, research into drug and alcohol issues and also the treatment industry, the more it became kind of politicised because I realised actually, um, first of all, drug and alcohol use is way more gendered than I realised, whether it be your pathways into problematic use the sort of behaviour or things that happen to you when you're in, in the throes of it and, you tre- and your pathways into treatment, it's really, really gendered. So I hadn't realised that. So um, it, it kind of became a call to arms in the end. In fact, there is a chapter called A Call to Arms. <laughs> and what are some of the, the issues? So thinking about, uh, let's, let's pick, like get, getting into drug use or more perhaps going from drug use to problematic drug use. Mm. What are some of the issues that you that sort of struck you when you were researching the book? There's a chapter called A Crude Form of Seduction, and that's about how girls initially sort of get into drugs. And I thought it was going to be um, mainly awful stories of coercion and predators, and there definitely is that aspect as well, although it tends to be anecdotal because... There isn't much in the way of research about it, um, whether that's because research tends to be male biased or it's just hard to get people to talk about their stories, I don't know. But I also found that 
Um, often, actually, girls get into drug use through older men because they see older men as a broker. Mm. Uh, and that was actually the case for me. Um, I, who's got the drugs? Older blokes. Whether the, whether you're at school and you're a 13 year old wanting to get some pot, and it's you know it's got to be the boy two years above, or or whether it's something more serious when you're a little bit older. Um, I think a lot of girls are actually proactive in seeking out men and sometimes dealers um, to play that role. But the problem is, of course, then there's a power imbalance and you're very much um, without any currency as, as a young girl, particularly if you're getting drugs for free. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and one of the other things that you've mentioned is um, that women or girls will quite often start to use substances before boys and what sort of impact can that have on them? They, they often tend to use uh, drugs and alcohol before boys if they are quite impulsive because boys and girls express impulsivity in different ways and so it often gets missed in girls actually. Um, so in boys you know you might have more kind of showboating behaviour like um, getting into fights or train surfing or something like that. Whereas girls tend to have behaviours that are a bit more kind of stealthy because mm-hmm. you're conditioned to be quieter. Um, so impulsivity can express itself through early substance use and also things like theft yeah. and um, fraud and high-risk sex. Um, it, it, those behaviours tend to have a lot of stigma attached to them. I mean, they're especially... Um, Substance use, you know, it's seen as very uh, unfeminine. So the older you get, the more sort of unacceptable it becomes. I remember in my case, definitely sort of towards the end when I was about 34, um, my friend and I, my sort of best drinking buddy, we'd be sat at the bar um, and we were like that pair in The Simpsons, um, Selma and Patty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, we were, we were worried that we were coming across as really sort of pathetic and like pair of pathetic old crones and and it just seemed to get (laughs) (laughs) I think it was just because we were at at a bar all the time Mm. and we were of that age where you're starting to get less fertile and I think that in our minds sort of made it more unacceptable publicly I guess as more and more of your friends or peers or cohort or whatever you want to call it they drift away and families and lightweights yeah (laughs) and then it's just you two and then I quit and then it was just her and that was awkward (laughs) Um, yeah so in terms of then girls starting to use first I think there's also sort of neuro potential risks from that as well like I work in the cannabis field mostly Mm -hmm. and there's a lot talked about using substances during adolescence being more problematic than sort of waiting until you're in your early to mid-twenties when your brain is fully developed yeah. and that kind of thing. But I think there's also a lot of social issues around early substance use as well. There is a study in the book, it was, by, it was um, a neuroscientist called Susan Tapper, and she was looking at um, the white matter in the brain and what happens when uh, adolescents start drinking very heavily. And actually, the, they had different results in boys and girls. Um, I think the girls were, um, they had more problems with spatial awareness. Mm. Yeah. So I think boys, it made them a bit more impulsive, but girls were more forgetful and 
had this spatial problem. So it's, it's strange, isn't it? Um, when you look at the biological differences between men and women um, in terms of being affected by drugs and alcohol, they're actually quite different, and women have a, a much broader spectrum of things as well. Yeah, and this is something that I think is becoming more and more noticed now, is that actually a lot of the research is quite often man as the default and then woman as kind of other, yeah. or sometimes not even looked at at all. Like So, as I say, I work in the cannabis field, yeah. and I, cannabis and psychosis was a particular area of interest to me, and the, the first massive study that found an association between cannabis and psychosis was all in... Uh, Swedish conscripts so it was all in men yeah and it's kind of wasn't even it was like oh well it's a limitation that it's only men but you know still we found this thing and let's let's sort of just move on yeah because a lot of people at the top of the research game are male and so that trickles down um I quite a few female researchers who I talked to when writing this book told me both on and off the record that they'd been actively discouraged from looking at women specifically um, as if men are the norm and men aren't really the norm in addiction particularly in terms of drinking uh, women are actually overtaking men um, and in any case you can't extrapolate the, the data from men and apply it to women because we're completely biologically different Yeah, and you know we also have different um, stresses and psychological issues as well yeah and pressures on us sort of culturally and societally and, yeah. and that sort of thing so we've got this problem of um, the treatment industry is still very much being geared towards the male experience as well, um, which I know a big rallying cry is always that we need more trauma-focused care, which of course also benefits men, but we also need gender-sensitive care. We need to um, we need to look at the, the fact that a lot of women will have experienced domestic violence or have very little autonomy, uh, and these are, are major things that would need to be addressed. Yeah, and obviously for the most part, people who use substances don't have problems with them but for the people who do develop problems there's quite often other factors at play and those factors won't be the same for men and women mm. and for women as you say trauma may well be a, a huge part of that very likely yeah um and another issue there is if you choose the 12-step route then that's uh, something that was again designed for men and if you're in a mixed group and already feeling very vulnerable because you just quit something you're then expected to sort of further make yourself vulnerable and share about your backstory. And to me personally, that that felt really unsafe. I don't mean literally unsafe, but um, like on a cellular kind of level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just just wasn't what I wanted to be doing at all. So the 12-step plan, that's kind of the basis of it is sort of turning yourself over to a higher power. Is that right? Yeah, so the idea is that um, you, you haven't done a great job of looking after yourself till this point. This is how it was put to me. I, I went for 18 months. You haven't done a great job at um, sorting out your, your life and managing your addictions, so you're going to hand it over to this higher power, um, which is usually called a god of your own description. And some people say it's the universe or it's the power in the rooms. But whatever it is, the idea is that you're not making many decisions for yourself. Uh, and that's underlined by things like people saying, don't do anything dramatic in the first year, don't get in a relationship. So very much the whole ethos is of giving your power away. And the, there's a common argument that's not good for women who quite possibly haven't had much power in their lives or autonomy over their lives. 
and actually they need to be learning to be empowered. In that case then, sort of, is there much research into gender treatment going on at the moment? Did you find much when you were doing your research or what did you find worked best for you? I, I had the approach of basically trying a bit of everything. So as I said earlier, I, I read as much as I could. I also went to AA for 18 months and I also went to an outpatient service, which was all about, you know, um, CBT and motivational in- interviewing and mindfulness and that kind of thing. And just absorbed as many different tools as I could. Um, but ultimately, after 18 months, uh, I went it alone and I just really forensically looked at all the areas of my life or my behaviour which hadn't been working for me and thought about why they weren't working for me and tried to tweak those things. I actually did it in the form of a blog, um, which was called Hey Man, Now You're Really Living, which was named after an Eels song. And the premise was I was just doing something I'd never done before every day for a year. But um, really the underlying thing was trying to find things that I might enjoy doing and, and challenge myself in areas where I was quite weak, like being fearful of people, you know. Um, so by, by doing this blog where I had to approach people and, and do something new every day for a year, it really put me out of my comfort zone. And I'd definitely been guilty during the sort of drinking and drug-taking years of following the path of least resistance. So yeah, my, um, my getting better plan was really a bit of everything. And these days, um, I drink these days, but I do go to smart recovery meetings. And in Australia, because we've got a harm minimization strategy, um, smart recovery meetings is perfectly acceptable to be going and sort of moderating your use. So I do that and I see uh, an addiction based psychologist. Um, what's smart? Uh... What's smart? Yeah. So smart started in 96. Um, I'm going to try not to sound like I'm giving you a spiel because I'm actually on the board. <laughs> I'm on the board no, in Australia now. Um, Sorry, as long as you declare everything, yeah, that's I'm fine. Yeah. On board and above board. Uh, so SMART, um, it's across the world now, started in the States in 96, and uh, basically you're given tools to sort of empower your own treatment, I guess, um, and it's in a group setting, so it's free meetings, and um, you would spend the first part of the meeting look at the, looking at the previous seven days and what were the challenges you had to face, what were the successes, and you'll kind of analyse that. You might talk on a bit of a theme, perhaps, in the middle of the meeting. And then at the end, you look at the next seven days and your challenges and goals. So it's really proactive. There's no war stories, uh, which I really liked about it. Um, and it's people often just take it as needed. So, you know, they might go for a period, stop, maybe go for another period. And is it mixed or is it... Yeah, it's mixed gender. I think sometimes you can get, you can get women only. There are definitely queer groups, but... Um, yeah, the vast majority is mixed gender. One thing I wanted to ask you as someone who's sort of not a scientist but has written a really sort of thoughtful science book is how easy or difficult was it to kind of navigate this research topic? Because it is an area where there is quite a lot of disagreement potentially mm. between researchers. <laughs> um, so how, how did you find that? I was really worried about that because I... I do not come from an academic background, really, but I assumed that for every researcher, there's going to be their nemesis, or at least, you know, it could be a few, at least one. Mm -hmm. So I thought, God, 
I'm going into this blind. It, you know, I, I could interview someone that could give me the best information in the world. But then what if in the media or on Twitter or something, their nemesis pops up and goes, that's rubbish. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but I, I was in a position where I literally started this book, I probably shouldn't admit it, by doing things like Googling Professor Comorbid Eating Disorders. And well, you've got to start somewhere, <laughs> yeah. I mean. And then for each person I interviewed would recommend other people. Yeah. And so it was this kind of rolling ball. Um, and so I think I've got a pretty good sort of idea of who's out there now. But it was a bit like, am I stitching together a Frankenstein's monster? Because everyone I speak to, it's making perfect sense. But I'm creating this bigger picture without having spent years and years working in the field. Yeah, but well, I'm all for the kind of democratisation of science anyway, and that you don't have to have a qualification to be able to use the scientific method of kind of yeah. critical thinking yeah. and sort of exploring the evidence. And it's been really well received by by the, the people that I've interviewed and people beyond them. Like it's been, I've heard nothing but positive comments, and it's made it onto a few university courses. And I, I know that certain chapters are being photocopied and handing it handed out to clients so um i'm really i'm really chuffed at that 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 to me means i set out i did what i set out to do do you think there are sort of take-home messages maybe isn't quite the right word but given that there are these kind of real gendered issues and that potentially women are kind of underrepresented in the literature and underrepresented in treatment and anything what should what should researchers be focusing on? Are there specific areas you noticed where there were kind of big gaps, like maybe around treatment specific yeah. or that kind of thing, or anything else that you noticed? Yeah, the thing I think is most vital uh, is the fact that, that that women often have a comorbid eating disorder and substance use, and these people who have have both those things severely can really fall between the cracks and potentially die. Because um, very few detoxes or rehabs, especially government-funded ones, want to take on somebody who's got a severe eating disorder. They, they're not trained and they, and they possibly don't even have the medical equipment. I mean, they probably don't. They're not going to have feeding tubes. Um, and the other, the other flip side of that is eating disorder places, units won't, won't take somebody who's affected by drugs. So you, it's a catch-22. You're in this no-man's land. And... That's a real problem. I think in the States, you get some really, really super expensive private rehabs that will mm-hmm. cover both things. But, you know, in terms, of, in terms of the public health system, we don't really have places that can, can cover that. And I think that needs to be the priority. I think that's true of quite a lot of other comorbidities with substance use as well. Mm. I think substance use and mental health aren't treated particularly well as a, yeah, as a duo, but there's probably been more focus on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, most people would probably qualify for a dual diagnosis and you often can get bounced around them between services. Um, I think at the very least, though, you know, if you go and see a drug and alcohol service, they're going to have a pretty good idea of what bipolar disorder looks like or, you know, whatever it is. Should, like, the government or our healthcare services or that kind of thing be doing more to kind of address this imbalance? Just the difference in problems for men versus women? Yeah, I don't, I don't really see it being 
talked about that much, which you know became the point of this book really. Um, we're definitely seeing women still as mini men. Um, if I mean, if anything, I think the attitude now is just that oh yes, women take drugs too, but it hasn't stretched as far as. Do you think their needs might be different? Yeah, but perhaps <laughs> there's something in it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And women, women themselves. Do you think there's anything like the that women need to be mindful of when thinking about using substances or that kind of thing? Uh, one of the things that struck me recently is with lots of talk about MDMA strength going up and that kind of thing, and mm. thinking about what a dose of MDMA is and how just sort of physically and biologically yeah. women absorb drugs differently to men and that kind of thing and that if you just hear one this dose is this yeah it's almost certainly a male dose yeah um and i forget what the official term is but water intoxication actually affects women more than men Mm -hmm. um, because of some biological anomaly that i can't remember but yeah but basically yeah so if you if you took a pill say and then you were overhydrating and you're a woman, you're more at risk of water intoxication. Um, there are so many ways in which we're more at risk of taking um, drugs and alcohol. And it's not just because we're possibly smaller um, or the fact of muscle ratio is different. There's also things like the amount of enzymes in the stomach that break things down. And where we are on our menstrual cycles as ah, well. Absolutely, yeah. So this was really interesting to find out. I mean, probably most women would notice that if they've got their period, it's not a great time to be going out and getting wasted because you don't have to do anything. <laughs> it's not a great time to do anything. But you, pro- you probably have noticed that you also, it, you're more likely to sort of crash at the bar on that week. But what I didn't know was every other week of your cycle, depending on whether you're sort of flooded with progesterone or estrogen, you're becoming more attracted or less attracted to drugs. And also they're having more or less of an effect on you. And I'm pretty sure most women aren't aware of that. That took some real spelunking into research papers to find out. No, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, in a way it makes sense. But yeah, I don't think it's something that you'd particularly notice. And it's probably Mm. not a dramatic difference, Mm. but even... I don't know. I mean, I think think it can be dramatic, actually. So I think particularly Mm. around ovulation points, you Things you might notice are that you tend to smoke a lot more. Um, you might masturbate more. Um, and so, yes, you're also very likely to be sort of more impulsively drinking and taking drugs and your system is more sensitised to them. So I have read. That is very, very interesting. See, this is where I start thinking, hmm, research ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing that I was particularly interested when I was reading your book, was about um, this phenomenon of telescoping, which I only just learnt about myself, Yeah, which is the idea that although women might be less likely to go and seek treatment, yeah. they tend to, or it looks like they tend to progress to more serious problems more quickly yeah. and struggle to then get better. I think most clinicians would tell you that women... Uh, progress faster than men when it comes to getting dependent. Um, but one person I interviewed who, who works in the sort of A&E department of, of a hospital said, actually, that's a bit of a myth in her opinion. And it's just that women have so many barriers to treatment that they can't access it as early as men. So that by the time they do access it, 
things they're already on that yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think that makes sense why it looks like they might actually have poorer prognoses but actually it's because they're a different population because they're they're the more severe end because they've already got to that and it could be both it could be a bit of both um given that we have already acknowledged the fact in our chat that you know drugs affect women differently it probably is that they are proceeding quicker but also they're not able to access services so quickly so it's a complex picture it is a complex like, <laughs> in lots of these cases um yeah i think what you're what you say about sort of barriers to treatment there is really important as well that there are all sorts of reasons why women might wait longer to seek treatment mm. there's sort of issues of stigma yeah. there's issues of potentially um not sort of being able to because of the situation that they're in in their lives um are there are there other reasons do you think often um it is a childcare issue particularly if you're a single mum but also even if you're in um a, a stable relationship um anecdotally i've heard a lot that um the the male partner will be quite reluctant to encourage the female to seek treatment because that's going to saddle him with you know the child care duties as well as whatever else he's got on so there's definitely you know if you're the glue of the family then you've got more responsibility and it, it definitely um would be more difficult to say right i'm gonna i'm just gonna go for a month um not to mention the fact that depending what culture you're from, it could be incredibly frowned upon for you to be a woman who's been taking drugs or drinking. And you've also got to admit that, or at least have people think, that you've possibly um, been unsafe around the kids. Yeah, I was going to say, there must be then the whole issue of sort of the fear of kind of state intervention as well. Um, And I think that's a a bigger problem here in the UK, I understand, than it is in Australia, I think, um, because there have been some really awful cases of neglect which the tabloids leapt upon and you know social services were being blamed and other kind of sectors were being blamed uh things are a bit more heavy-handed now so if a woman sticks up her hand and goes tries to get help there is a risk that she'll have her kids taken away whereas in australia it's more collaborative and a drug and alcohol service will really work with a mum to try and prevent that from happening because they want to say to you well done for for coming for help because if you have trying to sort it out yeah Yeah. (laughs) absolutely we've kind of focused on the very severe end of drug use where it becomes problematic use you might need to seek treatment you might you've sort of got dependence or addiction and it's sort of depending on the kind of language that we want to use but that's that's not going to be the case for most people Mm. who use substances yeah but there are also important sort of issues about just how drug use is perceived differently between men and women or for men and women to use drugs yeah that i think is interesting to kind of touch on as well yeah i think with women it's almost always pathologized so with men it's more seen as a rite of passage getting wasted with the lads um but in reality, for men, it might be actually self-medicating and stress and whatever. Um, and the reverse is true with women, where um, it's best to be seen as mad or sad than bad. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it dates back, I mean, it dates back God, probably to Freud's day, but or beyond. 
But particularly um, if you look at things like women's magazines in the 1950s onwards, you'd get all these adverts from pharmaceutical companies for things like Ritalin and various sedatives. And the photo would invariably be of a housewife kind of having a nervous breakdown, you know, hemmed in by vacuum cleaners and screaming kids. And basically, the, the tagline would be something like, you can't free her, but you can make her feel better. So there's been this long um, pathway history of, of women being framed as pathologically um, anxious. And, and certainly, you know, there is an anxiety around not having a fulfilling life. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think now, if you bring it up to the modern day, and you've got all these wine o'clock memes... You know, I guess they're fun. They've usually got, again, somebody having a bit of a nervous breakdown, perhaps a, a Victorian lady or something. But it's it's still framing... As drinking to cope. Kind yeah, of. it's drinking yeah. to cope. And sometimes it might be, but sometimes, be frank, you might just be having a drink because you fancy one, or, or you're bored. Um, but it, it's like we've got to frame... Women have got to frame their use as being a woman's lot. Yeah. And men have got to frame it as, this is great fun. Yeah, but actually, we're probably not as different as in you that might sense, think. And there's probably both reasons for men and both reasons for women. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and just before we wrap up, um, before we started recording, I asked you if there's anything specifically that you were keen to talk about, and you said language, and it's something that I am <laughs> really interested in as well. So, so I'll take it from here. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to just list a load of words and then I realised it sound really like Alan Partridge. So I was just, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, no, I mean, addiction, dependence, I'm not going to do it. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but um, what, what sort of, what did you mean by that when you said it's language? I get really cranky by the language of absolutes. So addict, alcoholic, and, and then things like disease and, you know. Um, reason being, it basically it's saying, obviously, obviously it, it trickles down from the 12-step um, paradigm, first of all. But, but the reason I have a, an issue with it is it's basically saying that anyone who ever puts their hand up for help with their drug and alcohol use is now automatically an addict or an alcoholic. It, it completely disregards A, levels of dependence, and psychological stroke, physical dependence, which are two different things. But it also disregards, you know, the biopsychosocial approach. Mm -hmm. So it disregards the fact that maybe you were drinking chaotically because you've, you've got unresolved trauma, or maybe it's because you're, you're self-medicating um, anxiety. Instead, you're just an addict or an alcoholic. And I just think that's so unhelpful, uh, apart from the fact that it's an, un un they're unclinical terms anyway, that, you know, they're not, Official yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people who've listened to this podcast before will know that I agree with that, and um, it's it's really limiting as well. It's sort of de defining, whereas a person is so much more than yeah. than that. But I do get that some people really want to call themselves those things because yeah. it's their way of remembering what things were like before. It's ownership. Um, uh, it, it sort of like it, it ties you in with the community of other people who who have that sort of background, and that's fine, you know, if you if you want those labels for yourself. But I, I get really frustrated when I see it in the media or people applying it to others. Well, I think that is a good 
place to finish. Great. Thank you so, so much for speaking to me today. And um, your book, Woman of Substances, is available in all good bookshops. Yeah. And for online. Other bookshops as well. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very, very much. Thank you. And there we go. If you're worried about your own substance use, I've added some of the links that Jenny and I talk about. These are mostly UK relevant, but if you're based elsewhere and are looking for support and can't find it, please do message me and I'll see what I can do finding links in your area. I hope you all have a lovely festive time wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I'll mainly be writing my book, if I'm honest. Check out on Amazon already for pre-sale, terrifying. But I'm quite looking forward to spending the festive period doing that. And I'll be back with new episodes in the new year as well. But for now, bye! You've been listening to Say Why to Drugs with me, Dr Susie Gage. The music was by Jim Murray. The artwork was by at my name is Ad. Say Why to Drugs would not have been possible without the generous support of I'm a Scientist Get Me Out of Here, the Medical Research Council, and Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.